we're talking about lands philosophy of Bitcoin. I'm pretty excited about this. I've wanted to do this for a while. Um, also, just share this everywhere you can because it helps me out and it'd be good to get a good group in here. Right, so um, what I'm going to be covering is... There we go. Right, so what I'm going to be covering is firstly the basics of Bitcoin, but I'm not massively fussed about the basics of Bitcoin because you'll... you'll realize why probably by hopefully by the end of this lecture but also in um in the second lecture you'll realize why basically when we're, we're talking about bitcoin and you know crypto uh, crypt, cryptographic technology and blockchain technology these things are important but they're important in connection to this and not just solely on their own so i'll briefly cover that technology but really that's uh all an empirical problem uh which which you know, it isn't is related to the transcendental in its own way. So I'm sort of briefly covering that, and then also in this lecture, I'm briefly covering the basics of Kantian critique, which I think are the most in, <clears throat> important aspects of Kantian critique, which you'll sort of need to fully understand. Lands cryptocurrency, and then at the end, we'll I'll look at the most important parts of the the foreword, and yeah, just the foreword of cryptocurrency. Um, so someone's someone's already said there's six chapters, but you're only doing four parts. Uh, there are so I'm doing. What am I doing? I believe it's so it's naught, and then this introductory stuff. One and two, three and four, five and six. Um, some are shorter, some are longer. Now, one thing I'll say is like the 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 extracts that I've pulled from Cryptocurrent uh, are like the most dense parts which i believe contain the most important information now with that said this is a super complicated philosophical document right it, it, it it's ridiculously compact um it's it, it contains a ton of references so really we're do we're dealing with if we look at the lineage we're dealing with primarily on a philosophical level, we're dealing with Kant, of course. We're dealing with Deleuze and Guattari. We're also dealing with Heidegger. Uh, and the Heideggerian stuff is really interesting. On an economic level, we're primarily dealing with Austrian economics, which we'll get to. Um, so just a brief... I don't know too much about the sort of biography of this text and, you know, how it came about or whatever. I remember when I first interviewed Land, uh, he was still writing it back then and sort of, uh, you know making making it clear it's a really difficult thing to write now so the the version that's sort of available online which i think has sort of now been all culminated in one place uh is at the the link there that's ets oh no etscrivener.github.io forward slash cryptocurrent so this is the version 1.0 october 31st 2018 um so, like when I when I went to put down the notes to this, I sort of thought, okay, one should really have some prior knowledge of Kant's critique of pure reason uh, and common blockchain techno technology. But I'm just going to include these because uh, I'm probably will mention them in a very fairly specific way, which um, you know is in that Landian sense. Uh, so, and and also these lectures are really going to be for those who want to understand Land's philosophy of Bitcoin, uh, and I, I like just that bit. Um, and I emphasize that because you could draw out connections between the cryptocurrent and even thirst for annihilation, stuff in Fang Numena. Of course, you could 
easily connect it with Xeno systems. Um, but I think they would probably be fairly forced connections in a way. And I think Land's doing different things now, uh, which I don't know. So this, you know, just to sort of emphasize them, even though we might start talking about <laughs> meltdown and its importance and and the body without organs and things along the, these lines, um, it's it's not. There isn't these like huge correlation uh, between the two. And I mean, I'm sure they could sort of, you know, these things will come up. Um, so someone's already <laughs> asked, is it recommended to read CryptoCamp for the next lectures? Um, it, it's going to help, but. Uh, you know, this is sort of just an overview of what cryptocurrent really is. These four, you know, these four lectures are just about what cryptocurrent is. So, I mean, you could read it. It's a very, very dense document and would take you a long, you know, this is, as, as far as I'm concerned, as someone who's obviously spent a lot of time with Land's philosophy, this is easily his magnum opus. This is this is an, a masterpiece of philosophy. Uh, and anyone who who's interested in Kant, this is a, a genuine masterpiece of Kantian scholarship. It, it's absolutely impeccable. Uh, so, but, you know, enough sort of, um, <laughs> you know, bigging up land. Let's just get into it. He wouldn't really care for that, I'm sure. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to begin with Bitcoin. Uh, I'm not going to spend a massive amount of time on Bitcoin, right? So this is, it's, it's, Invented, developed. So this is when I'm speaking about it now. I'm speaking about it in these terms will come up later, and I'm sure some of you already know them. But I'm speaking about it in terms of the empirical sense of the inside, which interests us to a degree, but not to a huge degree. Um, uh, and that's in the Kantian sense. So I mean, when we're speaking about it just in this everyday, normal sense, Bitcoin. You know, it's invented, developed whatever. We can't say arrived. That's more of a transcendental thing. It's invented, developed by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 as, you know, the first mainstream cryptocurrency, which is cryptographic currency. And cryptography is simply the the art, the technology of being able to conceal communication, conceal data from third parties. And, and, and the third party thing is probably one of the most important um, cornerstones to the cryptocurrency. Uh, and, and we'll see why. I mean, to the point where we're talking about we're talking about third parties now in terms of that economic Bitcoin sense, uh, and actually that goes all the way through transcendentally to the idea of the death of God. And how the hell we pull all that together um, is is uh, super exciting, right? So it's it's a digitally secure store of value. Uh, that that I think is fairly clear on that empirical level. We'll get to that idea of value on a transcendental level in a bit. Uh, it's introduced the concept of the blockchain, which is like a public ledger that includes permanent records of everyone's transactions. Uh, and of course, the importance of this public ledger is that it's decentralized so that you don't have a centralized bank which can, you know, control it. So everyone who has a single node in this decentralized framework has to agree on the the time frame of the succession of the blockchain, right? It's a chain of blocks and everyone has to agree in a decentralized network on um, on what has happened, right? And this has huge implications in terms of in terms of time and to a degree in terms of space. But, you know, space, as we all should know, is basically a, a little slave to time. Everything's a slave to time. Um, and it has a permanent record of everyone's transactions. If it isn't included on chain, the important thing to say is it never happened, right? Because it wasn't agreed upon, it never happened. And of course, you know, this has uh, 
huge implications with regard to time as well. And you can already see how from this empirical way we're sort of building up this uh, objective framework. So it's also peer-to-peer, -peer, so anyone can use the network and you don't need a central server or authority to run it. It runs itself. So even in this very brief empirical description, there are some huge things which will expand out into basically the most complex transcendental philosophy. Firstly, it runs itself. Yeah, that's right, we're talking about fully automated deleuze quatarian machinic production. Whoa, what the hell's that? We'll get there in probably lecture two. Um, the centralized, the centralization, right? Centralization is really, in metaphorical terms, we're talking about the idea of the removal of the transcendent, which is the removal of God and the removal of any uh, larger third party figures, okay? Anyway, we'll get to this stuff. Bitcoin uses public key cryptography, just like the web does, to secure itself. We all probably know the basics of Bitcoin, really, of generally what it does. Um, so it's just a secure form of digitally secure store of value. Send Bitcoin to someone's public key, which looks something like that long string of letters. And uh, actually, that is my string of letters. So if you do want to send some Bitcoin, that's in the description below. Uh, and they, they spend it by signing the transaction with their private key. Um, sign transaction and the public key both of which are very public and anyone then this allows this peer-to-peer -peer structure allows without the the need for a third party in this decentralized system to verify what has happened you see that the prior you see the public key and it's been signed by a private key and then the everyone on the decentralized network simply agrees but because of that the importance is there is on, is on the decentralized aspect there is no central bank to that you don't need the third party right but that third party when spun out transcendentally is super super important uh the blockchain now this is really important in terms of time later on um so bitcoin's public ledger as we said that that, that record of everyone's transactions the public checkbook is called the blockchain it's called the block it's called the blockchain um because about every 10 minutes a new block should be found by bitcoin miners and added to the end of the longest chain uh, the miners, which, as we all probably are well aware of now, are thousands upon thousands of expensive machines located, usually, I think, in the, the Netherlands now and, and Denmark to keep everything very cold, um, are basically computers which are performing a type of operation called hashing. So they're very, very simply, these miners are working out an algorithm which then allows you to reap the rewards of that block and also keep the whole system going. Um, when you hash the data, it comes out completely changed, but in a repeatable way. Uh, if you, if both you and your friend hash the same data, you should get the same output. So this is mostly used in the computer world to make sure files don't get corrupted when being transferred on the internet. Uh, if you run a copy of a file through a hashing function and compare it to your friends, uh, if it's the same, you know that the files are identical. And anyone who's sort of installed an operating system will understand this, that you... Um, when you get an .iso file of an operating system, you check the hash code to make sure you've got that exact file and nothing has been broken in the process. Uh, Bitcoin miners, you know, they take part of that previous block, try and find some data and add it to the hash. It looks something like that. Um, now, as for those sort of hashing and the working out of the algorithm, there's certainly something interesting there later on in relation to the synthetic a priori. Um, epistemic distinctions which I'll talk about in Kant uh, but this is a very empirical thing and really when we begin to talk about the blockchain it's that notion of succession which is the um, the important thing um, someone just mentioned that I haven't mentioned yet the the important thing is also the scarcity 
of Bitcoin. Uh, Twenty. Actually, I think I have got this coming up. There you go. Yeah, Bitcoin economics. So yeah, it's coming up. Um, so as for the economics, now the economics is super important as well. This does completely relate relate to the the transcendental ideas. I will tie all this back. Um, so, but I just the the importance of the this empirical stuff. You'll see why isn't of the utmost importance when we're talking about lands cryptocurrency. Uh, the price fluctuates for the same reason any other price fluctuates, supply and demand. If more people went, want Bitcoin and no one's selling, then the price will go up, etc. We all should understand how supply and demand works. Um, it's often compared to gold in the respect that there's a finite amount of it. Uh, if I own one out of 21 million Bitcoin, that means at most you could own 20 million, uh, So there's only ever going to be 21 million. I think at some point there might actually be some added on 160,000 or something along these lines. Um, uh, but I I can't remember about that. If everyone else wanted to sell theirs, so but the truth is most people want to hold this because it's understood as a store of value and not uh not money, not um not uh something which is used in relation to other goods. It's used as a store of value. And Bitcoin, it seems over the years, I mean obviously there isn't some sort of direct marketing firm because it's very difficult to sort of um correlate such a thing bitcoin over the years i think has struggled to sort of differentiate itself as whether or not it's something that should be spent as money and whether or not it's a value system and a lot of people understand it as as money um which i think is sort of incorrect you really do need to to think of it as a, a as a value system now uh someone also said there about four million bitcoin are lost no more will be added so we're you know we all hear stories about people the the guy in the, in in england who's been you know haggling the council because he had a hard drive with 5000 bitcoin on which is now in their dump and he's sort of saying well look i'll give you half if you help me find this you know 20 however much money is on that now so you know there's probably what 17 million roughly bitcoins floating around now and probably even more are lost and you know tons in various weird places which aren't going to be moved for years um since a lot of people don't want to sell the price goes up keeps on going up because more and more people more and more people are getting into bitcoin and they just don't want to sell um someone's asked their dumb question but how can bitcoin be lost uh, so one example is that guy with a hard drive you know he bought five thousand bitcoin when it was probably about i don't know 100 pounds to buy that five thousand and he just thought i don't care lobbed it away uh and now he's got to retrieve them another example is a lot of people lose their bitcoins because you keep your bitcoins in a wallet and if you lose that password there is there is no leeway it's not like there's no third parties so this is one of the big problems with no, no third parties with when you have a third party institution with your account for monetary account uh, like on a bank account you can say click click you know click reset password and there's a third party institution who can verify yourself to give you back your details or you can call them up and they can verify it's you uh, however when you remove that third party everything is uh, it's it's flat on that decentralized level between a peer-to-peer a -peer network so you are completely beholden to yourself so if you lose the password to your wallet you've lost everything in there and there is absolutely no way to retrieve it unless you just want to sit there and go through every single password and there i believe there is people who've paid for extremely complicated ais to just reroute passwords over and over and over again because there's a ton of money in there um the most important part about Bitcoin, you know, the thing that's most sort of revolutionary is that with Bitcoin, you know, as I said, you don't have to trust anyone to send money. If you want to send money by the banking system today, uh, you need an account number, you need a routing number, and most importantly, you need a bank. You need trust, right? 
we, we we sort of take all this for granted and we take the the idea that uh we have this sort of not high trust really but it's sort of low trust because you need all that to even do things um you, we we're, we're absolutely sort of beholden to the idea that right i need to send money so you need this whole institutional framework to just be able to send your money to someone else which usually involves a load of transactions giving over a load of your data uh, and stuff along these lines so um and but the, the 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 most important thing about that is you need to trust the banks to do this right and even though we probably don't think about this on a day-to-day -day basis we definitely do trust them we all have money in banks and it sits there in digits and you know unlike you believed when you were a child and this is actually important obviously when we were all kids and we thought oh my god the banks you know i've got 100 pounds in my bank there's a little vault somewhere with five 20 pound notes and my name on it of course that isn't the reality the bank literally has uh you know it takes your cash puts it somewhere and there is digits on a screen and that is what the bank has a view is you're correlating you're correlating your name and your details to a string of digits which goes up and down there is you know there's unless you might have deposited something such as gold or jewelry then then there isn't there isn't um that that you know there isn't that that the, the genuine value isn't in there and that's really important um because with bitcoin what's important is and and right now i'll say this this statement at the start and it will be at the start it will come across as nonsense and if i teach these lectures well enough by the end you should understand why it's basically the most important economic statement ever right bitcoin is bitcoin right bitcoin is worth one bitcoin is worth one bitcoin that is absolutely nonsense but when you be begin to think about value in terms of actually owning the value and the understanding of a peer-to-peer -peer network in terms of uh you all decentralized uh, in, in a de decentralized network agree on what's happened and agree on the value you genuinely have the value right so when you have the value in the bank you you have this symbolic relationship to a third party system which is basically based on trust and the symbol of what that money uh signifies with bitcoin you have bitcoin with money you have something very very horrible which is actually no longer tied to anything bitcoin is tied to itself in the sense that it's this transcendental value and we'll get to this when we when i begin to talk about heidegger in the next lecture with the idea of bitcoin the word with a lower b is this normal bitcoin we're talking about at the moment and that's that ontic empirical level of bitcoin bitcoin with the big b is the absolute uh alteration to the economic system which is transcendental and it's on that ontological level that you're building up a transcendental uh, value system uh justin clark in the comments says that says value is a slippery concept uh in in yeah it is uh and, and that's the really important thing about bitcoin is and i'll mention this it's, it's in one of these slides historically the old you know the, the alteration of of value from use value to exchange value to monetary value now we're at pure value bitcoin is value itself quite literally um Someone else is sort of saying value is subjective, and this is why the Austrian Austrian economics is important. Because, um, for instance, when we t t look at um, Marxist economics, value is entirely in relation to labor and labor time, which put is put into uh, the manufacturing of something. When we look at Keynesian economics, value is in relation to price. So you just set this artificial price, whether or not people want to pay that price. And it's actually not in relation to the 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 subject sub you know the subject's desires. 
Austrian economics, on the other hand, comes in and just destroys those. It doesn't destroy those, but it says, no, 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 you're both wrong. Value is subjective, right? Um, this, let's see, this copy of Gurdjieff's Guide and Index to All and Everything, which I paid £70 for, is not going to be worth £70 for very many people, except people who are extremely, extremely interested in the work of Gurdjieff, such as I am. So there is just the, the, the implicit proof of subjective value is that, well, and that's the Austrian point, is that, well, you know, and I'm doing those lectures on Karl Menger, which I need to finish up, but he's constantly just saying, look, it's just subjective. Every single thing is subjective. Well, whether or not people want to trade, however how much they charge is subjective. Really, we live in a sort of uh, pseudo-Keynesian economy where price is just put on everything. And like, you know, if you said, right, this thing is £50, well, it's not 50, it isn't worth £50 to me. And for someone else, that's a really good bargain, right? So it, it, Bitcoin is that, does work in that Austrian Austrian framework, um, which we'll which we'll get to. Um, a point of all this, in terms of the economic um, thing, uh, in, in terms of the economics of Bitcoin, is you own the actual transcendental value, right? This value which rides the line between, we'll get there in a minute, inside and outside. You don't just own the empirical value, right? Because the strange thing with money is, well, it doesn't at least. Uh, this beard comb has a used value, which it can comb a beard. However, or, you know, this cigarette lighter has a used value. It can light a cigarette or it can do a load of other things. Money just has this empirical symbolic value, which isn't tied to any used value. It's tied to a, an exchange value, but that's an only only in an empirical exchange value, which is, which is highly fluctuating. Um, whereas Bitcoin, it's very complicated to explain early on and it's completely in relation to transcendental philosophy so we'll get there uh B bitcoin is, is 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 transcendental value it's it's a diagonal value which cuts through all this of course i need to build this up and, and, and explain what i mean by this um so <clears throat> moving on to the best the, the most important philosopher who ever lived manuel can um right very very simply if someone said what is Kantian critique. What is the critique of pure reason all about? Why is it so important? Uh, and I believe very roughly you can actually explain that in one line. What critique is, is attending to, let me start again. What critique, what Kantian critique is, is instead of as Hume, Locke, Berkeley, uh, the rationalists, the skeptics, the empirical skeptics, uh, the empiricists, etc. Everyone before Kant what they did was attend to experience via conditions which are unquestioned. What Kant did, and it's the most important thing ever in philosophy, is to say we need to first attend to the conditions of experience. So that is to say, instead of simply accepting the experience we have and just and not even thinking about the conditions, and then philosophizing on that experience, right? We, 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 we sense, we touch things, we think about things, we, we primarily sense is the big thing here. You know, like, I see this green light, or I see the color green, I see this shape, it moves in time in succession like this, right? From For it to go from here to here, it has to have some form of temporal succession. Instead of accepting that entire experience, um, instead of accept, uh, accepting that entire experience, and then... And then going from that, 
right? As just going like, right, whatever, that's how it is, and then let's go from that. Which, by the way, is the analytic reading of Kant in Strawson's The Bounds of Sense. He basically goes from Kant and says, okay, Kant's done all this stuff, but let's just, what Kant has outlined, let's just accept that then as the reality, and that's what we've got, and let's go from that. It's not really <laughs> very productive. Um, instead of doing that, you go, well, hang on, we've got this, ex we've got this experience, um, we've got this experience, well, what are the conditions of the experience, right? What conditions me and what conditions my mind and what conditions all my faculties to to be able to say, well, that's green, that moves, uh, that's a shape, that's there, right? Um, so the problem, uh, someone's briefly said, uh, will this live stream be saved to YouTube, uh, saved onto YouTube later? My first time doing this, I looked this up, apparently as long as it's under 12 hours, uh, which I'm hoping it will be, it does just automatically save it, so it should be on there. Um, the problem is regarding then whether or not objects conform to our senses or our senses conform to objects, right? It's, it's this reversal of the, the, the arrow, okay? So, for instance, let's say uh, objects conform to our senses, right? That means there's an object out there and the arrow from, from a second, the arrow from the lighter comes from the lighter to here, here's the object. The object conforms to our senses in the sense that we, that is exactly how it is, right? That is the object conforming to our senses. What about if the senses conform to the object? It's the whole same thing again. So what's, why, why, why is, what's Kant doing? Kant is saying, here's what's interesting. When you see the object and it's sort of like putting, well, I've got a pair of glasses on, so it sort of helps. When you put a pair of glasses on, let's say there's like a sepia lens on them. Everything has changed. Kant's point is that in the object being apprehended by the subject, you are it's representing itself to you. Because we have to attend to objects and the, and the empirical world and the external world via our senses, we can't say... Kant never says it isn't exactly as it is out there, but he never says it is. He says we simply can't say because, well, right, for instance... If we see something, it has to be processed by our senses first. It has to be processed by our by our vision, by our sight, uh, by our sight, yeah, vision, hearing, touch, taste, smell. It has to be processed by them. So it's like almost like it's going through a filter, and then we get it. Which is why the best way to say about uh, the best way to sort of phrase it is when people talk about Kantian representation, right? You have a representation of the world. The best way I've found to phrase that to sort of memorize why that's important is you have a representation of the world there's 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 there is the world out there whatever it is um and that we call the noumena we can call it the thing in itself that's already there and then in being apprehended by us it is represented to us so we can't say whether or not this is what we see what we sense is exactly as the world is but we also we also you know it could be it couldn't be kant's basic point though however just that he stresses is we just can't say uh, which that is that is that is the transcend that's the transcendental right there is you have the phenomenal phenomena which is representation and you have the noumenal which in the in in sort of Landian terms which he uses fairly often it is you have the inside which is the the representational world that subjects are in humans are in and you have the outside you know the outside coming in right which is those noumenal elusive uh, often horrifying forces of the outside coming in which of course we will uh, comment on. So, you know, when I look at a tree, am I seeing the real tree in the, in the, in the, in which case my senses would conform to the object, right? My senses see it and it's exactly as it is in the real world. 
Uh, or is it a re-presentation, right? Is it conforming to my senses? My senses in sensing it sort of alter it in some way. Um, and and, and in, in that very process of sensing. Um, and in probably the, if you want to start with Kant, uh, probably the most, one of the best documents ever is the letter to Marcus Hertz, where he, he outlines the trans in transcendental philosophy extremely well. Uh, he states, however, our understanding through its representations is not the cause of the object, save in the mind, uh, in the case of moral ends, nor is the object the cause of the intellectual representations in the mind. Therefore, the pure concepts of the understanding must not be abstracted from sense perceptions, nor must they expect, express the receptions of representations through the senses. But though they must have their origin in, in the nature of the souls, they are neither caused by the object nor bring the object itself into being. Basically saying we, 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 we're just in this representational phenomenal world and we can't really say what it is we're attending to. Okay, so if something is being received by us, received by our senses, for Kant it's, it is not what's been received which should be of interest, but the process of receiving itself, right? So that is the experience, right? Me looking at this object is the experience. That is not important to Kant. His point is what conditions that? We have to look at them, otherwise we can never get into the truth. Otherwise you're just living living you're just you're just assuming that you're in you know, you're assuming what the what, what is. Those conditions are just, just just don't even matter. What conditions it that has to be the important thing for Kant, otherwise we can't we can't even say what reality is because we haven't attended to the conditions of it. Okay. Uh they, this is somewhat important uh, mostly in lecture two. So lecture two is, is very deep in Kant and the Bitcoin overlap. Uh, and then there's sort of economics and then there's just even more complex stuff and there's Heidegger at some point. Um, but Kant's sort of most important thing, I think, maybe one of them. <laughs> Synthetic a priori, a priori, a priori, whatever. Judgments. Uh, a priori, we've probably all heard about these. A priori and a posteriori are known as epistemic di distinctions, right? Relating to epistemology, the study of knowledge, or how we know what we know. Uh, the most important one, of course, is synthetic a priori. Now, we'll get to that. Um, a priori. It, um, so, uh, sorry. <laughs> synthetic a priori. You can have analytic a priori. You can have uh, synth uh, synth synthetic a posteriori, right? A priori and a posteriori are relating to what we know. Analytic and synthetic are linguistic distinctions in relation to the sentence at hand. Okay, so what the hell does that mean? If we look at the chart, um, I understand that uh, my webcam is over it very briefly there. Uh, you know, if we was so analytic, all bachelors are unmarried. Linguistically, that sentence is completely contained. It's actually called a uh, conceptual containment because the, the, the concept of being unmarried is implicit in the word bachelors. So that whole thing is analytic because it's contained. Uh, then we have synthetic. The man is sitting in the chair, right? There's nothing contained in that because there's extra information that, 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 needs, that has a connection to the empirical world. So you have to go out and investigate it. And I'll give you a great trick for sort of working these things out. Uh, then you have a priori. Once again, all bachelors are unmarried. This is true by, the, the, by its very nature. And a posteriori, the man is sitting in the chair, right? So when we when we mix these up, analytic, the, the analytic linguistic distinction that that 
what everything's contained within the sentence and a priori uh, true by the very necessity if you if you have a priori analytic you're basically saying the same thing it's a logical statement all bachelors are unmarried if you have um you can you can sort of ignore this one because it's hypothetical and it just has to be worked out anyway which is analytic a posteriori which is the man is sitting in the chair which has to be worked out right um synthetic a posteriori so the, the extra knowledge needs to be added empirically, uh, which means that if the man is sitting in the chair, if we state then, okay, the man is sitting in the chair, what do we need to do? We have to get up. It can't simply just be worked out by ourselves, right? Like a maths equation. We can sit and we don't have to investigate the empirical world. And the importance of syn syn synthetic and a posteriori is that you have to do that extra investigation uh, into the world, the empirical world, right? So one one great little trick that I was taught ages ago to to be able to sort of differentiate these is if someone has to get up from their chair to figure out whether something is true, that just will completely change everything, right? It's a lot, it's probably going to be synthetic if you have to get up, you have to go out into the empirical world. If you say it's raining outside, right, that's something that needs to be investigated in the empirical world. The point of these, you're thinking, well, okay, well, what the hell? This just sounds like a load of uh, philosophical jargon, which doesn't help anyone. The point of these, which all culminates in synthetic a priori is... What if you had new knowledge, which is absolutely universally true? So a priori being universally true, but it's new. How the hell does that happen? Um, for Kant, when we look at maths and new knowledge, which is universally true, which you don't have to go out into the empirical world to, to investigate. Well, that's maths, right? You don't have to investigate the world to have new knowledge of math. You can, you can literally develop quite literally universally new knowledge without investigating the world you can just do these sums so that Kant's, Kant's sort of important point is that there's just this new knowledge that where the hell does this you know where does this arise from so synthetic a priori in that sense is just this 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 development of universally true knowledge which is which is added to our um our collective collective consciousness of no no not collective consciousness collective uh you know data store of all human knowledge and it's it's added but it's also universally true okay so it's 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 not this sort of contextual thing like the man is sitting in the chair this is a a universal truth along the lines of you know two plus two equals four and you can begin to uh explain that out um uh there's a there's a couple of people um a couple of comments in here so justin clark i guess you're also perceiving the object as it appeared a fraction of a millisecond prior since it took a certain amount of time for the light reflected off it to reach your eyes. Uh, okay. <laughs> You've actually opened a massive can of worms with that. Because you mentioned time. Okay. Let me uh, roll off my, my, uh, my can't stuff. For a subject, there needs to be... Uh, there needs to be... Well, we can actually use a priori again here. There is two a priori forms of sensibility for the subject. There's space, right, for, once again, go back to my lovely lighter, which I'm not using. I've quit smoking. Uh, for this to even be an experience, there has to be space. I don't know how anyone could deny that. There has to be what we consider space, right? It's moving around in space. Cool. But for it to be able to go from here to here, there has to be time. There, it takes time, in the, in the idea of linear succession, for it to go from here to here. So for Kant, the two fundamental forms of a priori sensibility are time and space. I put them in that order because time has to come first. You can't have space without time. Otherwise, what the hell would it be? Now, 
that brings you know that is where we could draw in one of the the connections to earlier ca- uh, earlier landian stuff in that idea of you know well are are we as sort of creatures which are caught in time and space completely trapped in the cage of linear time right the, you know the the sort of the thing i think which messes with people's minds in regard to kant is the idea that um time we can't say whether or not time is or isn't linear but we can say it's very likely that that's just the way we experience it right the fact that this this goes from here to here in that succession or if i throw it across the room and it hits the door the fact that those two things are in that order isn't a universal truth it's simply due to with the fact that i represent or t- uh, time and space are represented to me in that form so what is going on on the other side in the in, in that's happening in the phenomenal world but what's going on in the numenal world well that's just not what time is okay that's 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 just not what time is that's a representation of time uh into linear chronic time now of course this has big importance when we go back to we've probably all seen the sort of now memed uh bitcoin solves the block you know the, the problem of absolute time blockchain creates absolute time so when we begin to think about well whether or not um there can ever be a correlation between the time of the inside that is our linear time you know where things are going forward and back well forwards you know in a progressive succession whether or not there can ever be an ontological correlation between the time of the inside of the uh, phenomenological empirical subject and the time of the outside this is what bitcoin solves okay so you ha- that's absolute time there is now a, a verifiable successive data right we don't need to do the rest of the lectures <laughs> right <clears throat> uh oh i did actually have a i did actually have a slide on it okay so that's the transcendental aesthetic okay that space and time provide us with our sensible form of experience we absolutely need space and time they just have to be you you cannot have experience without space and time quite literally uh you can say oh well what about dreams even in dreams uh you there is a sense of time even if it's not linear it's in relation to our understanding of linear time and the space in dreams is just as um empirical in the sense that your dreams are also still made of atoms it's it's that that framework of time and space in dreams is still that three-dimensional space uh, three-dimensional space and linear idea of time uh which we are accustomed to um so we say well what about what about you know that drug trip uh, where I did a load of psychedelics and uh, everything went non non Euclidean and uh, whatever, that is still in relation to the fact that you need time and space for that experience. Um, it's uh, that's how it's represented. So um, <clears throat> so the big question is then how from the you know the absolute tumult of impressions we sensibly receive, do we end up with what we perceive to be reality. What is the objective framework um, which allows for this? Um, so this is this is the like the go-to undergrad Kant thing, which is the transcendental unity of apperception. Wow, that sounds complicated, and they do tend to overcomplicate it. But so there's, there's this notion of well, how if there's just this constant barrage? How can we even correlate this? This isn't super important, but I'll quickly bring it in, right? So right now here, I have a, a cup of coffee. Um, so in terms of before there's there's anything, right, I can see there's a white mug, and then when I look in it, there's a black viscous liquid, and it smells, you know, like cheap 
I think it's Nescafe Azera coffee with a tiny bit of sugar in it. it smells sweet. Um, there's also like a feeling of warmth. Blah 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 blah. The transcendental unity of apperception. Emphasis on unity is you unify all those things and they are conceptualized into oh it's a cup of black coffee, right? Uh, or another one would be uh, it's orange triangular. It's sort of long and it has green things coming out of the end and it smells sort of earthy. Oh unify all that it's it's uh, unify that and i perceive it it is a carrot wow thanks can that's very helpful um so the, the important thing then is that time and space aren't uh, uh they're not features of absolute reality they're not features of 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 you know the universal reality of absolutely everything <sighs> once again they are representations the way they are presented to us is a, is a you know a representation so they aren't the forms of absolute time and space that, that, that are everywhere. They're only features of our subjective, as in hence, subject, subjective reality. Everything which is found within time and space, the objects are of our experience, right? They are represented to us and they are not the things in itself. So we're always at this sort of level of separation. So this is why when we think about, you know, cryptocurrent or cryptocurrency or cryptography, the point of cryptography, and Land sort of emphasizes this, is well, it, 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 it's a means to um, elude one from uh, the sort of secure communication from being seen. In that same sense, we're, we're just talking about transcendental philosophy in the sense that what is what is the, the, the cryptography is is in our senses. Our senses are, are sort of an inverse one that we probably don't really want, but it's an inverse form of um, cryptographic transcendental sort of sensible confusion in the you know in the sense that everything is then the the, the the true reality is then hidden us hidden from us in this transcendental form of cryptography of course then you begin to think well hang on bitcoin what's going on with bitcoin because it's sort of this this function which we will slowly begin to see um the the connection between the two um and so to be able to just very very briefly on the end of the transcendental aesthetic and the and nearing the end of the the basics of Kantian stuff, for uh, for Kant for us to be able to actually deal with anything because so far I've only really dealt with this, dealt with the sensible side of things, you have to have sensibility and you have to have understanding and they're two separate things, uh, and sort you can sort of think of understanding as conceptualization. So what's happening on the sensible side of things? You know we're apprehended we apprehend this this object we intuit sorry intuitions. Of objects we intuit them they are nothing without us where well, well, then intellectually uh, informed of a conceptualization being able to understand what it is and those two things are brought together and that is the full representation of you know what we have so you can have all the okay the sensibility is, is a white sphere, uh, a white cylindrical thing with a with a black thing on you know that that can that's nothing until a conceptualization comes in which is a sort of an associative development process for man to be able to go oh no that's a coffee cup and all these things happen so Kant does emphasize many many times that it's very confusing because all these things happen in such an such an what we would consider an instant that they're never really split out oh it really is bad <clears throat> um right so that is as far as I sort of need the 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 basics of uh Bitcoin and that's 40, 45 minutes. The basics of Bitcoin and Kant. We can actually move into to lands stuff. Okay, so I mean, the so the first thing here is 
land in 0.032. Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system as a philosophical text, uh, and in my, this is land, land writing, and in my opinion, as a work of critique. The target of critique is metaphysics conceived as a specifiable cognitive error. As determined by Kant at the origin of the transcendental critical enterprise, metaphysics is understood as the systematic attempt to apprehend conditions of objectivity as if they, if, as if they were themselves objects. So it's this, once again, when we think back to, well, how can you have an objective framework if you are beginning from that understanding that you are always uh, hampered in your quest towards objectivity by the very conditions imposed upon you? And you know, it's, 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 I, whenever I think of transcendental, I always think most of the time it can often be replaced with the word conditions or, you know, the conditioned or something along those lines. And it makes you sort of realize what's being spoken about. And I mean, Land is reading this nine page Bitcoin white paper, uh, as a philosophical text, um, and as a work of critique, as a work of, um, conditioned conditions. Now, and then he goes on to say, registered within uh, the terms of the transcendental or critical philosophy, it is a departure from the pseudo-object of the present in the direction of current time. So the pseudo-object of the present, as you'll begin to see, is, well, the, the, the notion of the present. Yeah. The present is always, in, the idea that we have a present is in relation to the past, right? That's something that's been, and in the notion of the future, something that's that's going to appear, which implies a notion of linear time. So the, the whole idea that the, the present is a pseudo-object is simply because linear time doesn't exist, right? That is conditioned. That is uh, the conditions of our experience. That is our repre- representation of times. So, you know, Land sort of is beginning by making it clear that this whole thing can work this whole thing only really makes sense by the development of that inside and outside, right? So when we're talking about Bitcoin on this transcendental level, it's in relation to that outside, that ontological level of things. So, and the notion of crypto begins with a complex task whereby, you know, one is immediately talking about something which is mediated, okay? Cryptography, much like the transcendental process, is a mediation. Um, And this is something, there's a really great, uh, lecture by Dan Robinson on the idea, the notion of Kantian representation as the difference between mediate, immediate and mediate, right? So if the object was m- immediate, I am immediate, then the, it would conform to our senses and we would have absolute reality. However, the object is mediated and the process of cryptography is a mediation. It's a transcendental mediation in the sense that um, the 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 information is mediated to us and we're left with something which isn't the true reality and it's in that trying to cohere those two realities that you are trying to develop an objective framework so that you can say from the inside what is it you know what is objectively happening in both and um, and the point is with bitcoin like the overarching point of all of this is that for land bitcoin uh, coheres the two it finds a correlation between the two so we can objectively have a, a sort of bridge between between the phenomenal and the new mental um so you know all that's meant by the the pseudo object of the present is that present is a subjective uh subjective present so then when you say well okay well what's you know land is mentioning here in 0.011 in the direction of current time the current time thing is in relation to the blockchain you know that decentralized on a new mental economic level correlation of an agreement of what has happened 
which then begins to build a succession. However, what is happening on that economic level and on that level of sort of machinic value isn't happening in the empirical level. We're, we're, we've, we've gone, we've moved away from the empirical. So that successive... Um, that succession of the blockchain that we're that we're viewing on the empirical level is is like a a signifier for an objective time frame uh, or, 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 or you know a direction of current time so that's that I will get into more uh, because obviously that's the huge <laughs> the huge thing um but so but that's very very briefly obviously going Okay, well, how the hell do you, you know, what differs that from accountancy software and what differs that from clocks and blah, 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 blah. Uh, there, there is reason for that, but this is just the introduction. So I'm not going to go too deep into all these things because there's, a, <laughs> there's quite a bit more. Um, okay. And then in, in 0.02, so Land is saying, since money, uh, money systems install an intrinsic economic intelligence preceding all reflective theorization, economics, uniquely among the science, sciences, inherits a field of ob objectivity whose arithmetization has already taken place. There is a lot going on here in, a, in actually in a, in, a, in a Kantian sense, right? When we begin to think back to uh, Kant in relation to ge geometry and arithmetic, in, the implication is here that in that process of hashing, in that process of Bitcoin mining, there is this sort of um, transcendental economic... Machinizing of synthetic a priori processes happening, um, because geometry and arithmetic are those two things. Which let's just subsume them and just call them maths, mathematics. They are the mathematics is that single thing which, in relation to those epistemic distinctions that we spoke about in the linguistic distinctions of a priori, a posteriori, mathematics is 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 the synthetic a priori where you can develop continued objective knowledge without having to deal with empirical reality so in that process of hashing via uh you know the via the algorithmic processing processing of bitcoin in relation to the development of a um successive blockchain you have on a transcendental level in connection to the empirical level you have a, a pure, like a pure synthesization of objective reality due to the fact due to the fact that is a, a sort of machinic synthetic a priori process which is developing constant mathematical proofs of time as opposed to uh, proofs which have first come from empirical reality so the, that sort of that reality is reversed um okay so the audio is cutting out a bit i think it's fixed um that reality is reversed where the processing which is happening on that numenal um, machinic, numenal synthetic a sort of mathematical processing level is 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 then coming back into empirical. You're not beginning from the empirical, which is that that's the trans the, the importance of the transcendental sort of flip is you begin you you question those conditions. You don't begin from the experience. If you begin from the experience, you're just beginning from the empirical, and the empirical is always going to be in relation to the subjective. So what can you say of objectivity? Whereas when we begin from that mathematical uh, sort of machinic processing level, you're beginning from the the pure conditions. Um, so. The, the, and then Land goes on to state, um, the economic event then is co-original with its semiotic double. It is enabled by signs, 
before being represented by them, right? The, in subjective conditioned reality, signification is basically what we have to go by because we're reliant on sense data. So, you know, we, we're just constant signs and, and signals. Whereas, as I said, in that reversal, the process is first and then it's signified, right? The mathematic process is, is happening in that objective numeral framework and then it comes in and then we sort of have to deal with it in, in the sense of, I guess, you know, a, 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 a sort of like a, a, a blockchain blockchain sort of technology. So it's, it's the difference between... Um, you know, it, it, it's the question of representations in the relation to like the real of economics and uh, a, a new mental forming of something before signification. And of course, um, it's an extremely difficult thing to say, well, this is something that has eluded signification until it it's eluded. Like the signs are secondary as opposed to only being able to understand it because there's a sign. Right. It's like saying it's like being able to explain a tree without having any uh, signifiers to do so it's basically impossible because what what we what we're talking about is a is is a process machinic reality before that other thing so it's like a process a transcendental process before it before it's even conditioned it's something that isn't in the subjective framework and we'll sort of run into this problem um many many times because it's it's obviously difficult to sort of break out of our subjective framework and 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 talk about well what you know what is it that we don't know? Right? We, if if we could if we could explain that, then we would we'd know it. Uh, this is the big Kantian problem. It's why it's so important. Um, so then, Bitcoin seizes philosophical attention because it is already doing philosophy, or what philosophy is still on even rarer occasions expected to do, and at multiple levels, it tells the truth. Um, and this really is Bitcoin as an epistemological temporal agent and that's a temporality once again which isn't related to the conditions because there can't be truth coming from sorry isn't related to subjective experience because you there, there can't ever really be truth from subjective experience this is exactly why Kant begins from conditions you can't begin from the experience because that has already been conditioned so what could be said of a truth which has already been conditioned you need to question the conditions of truth the point is that bitcoin in its objective decentralized processing of that succession is doing everything before it's conditioned on the the on 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 the outside and then that's coming through and then there's sort of the bridge that we can we can we can work work with um okay so um bitcoin is not understood primarily as a paper uh, perhaps because it is not primarily an argument. Its nexus of persuasion has migrated outward in close association with the meaning of code. Critique undergoes accelerating automation. 0.04. Okay, this is sort of like, you know, uh, <laughs> blast off point, which is basically I'm of the belief here that Land is using the word code here in the Deleuzean or Deleuzequatarian. No, I hate the word Deleuzequatarian because it. If you read that stuff, it's if you read the biography, you realise Guattari didn't have too much input. Anti-Oedipus he did, and then later on it was basically mostly Deleuze. Um, anyway, for Deleuze or Deleuze and Guattari, um, code is this is this signifies all cultural abstraction immunitized into the language of abstract machinization. Okay. In moving abstractly away from being merely understood as a paper, okay, as a as a as an empirical sort of um, 
analytical theorization. Um, Bitcoin moves away from anthropological, uh, anthropocentric understanding itself. The conditions of Bitcoin's very existence bring forth an inhumanism which accelerates its own becoming. Okay, so when Land is talking about in close association, um, it's it's nexus of persuasion has migrated outward in close association with the meaning of code. The as I state, the, the, cultural abstraction immunitized into just a pure machinization. You're no longer reliant on when we go back to those synthetic uh, distinctions. You're no longer reliant on uh, a posteriori. You no longer have to. Its nexus of persuasion isn't on the empirical. Right, and that's why the um, the third the whole idea of trustless. Well, how can you have trustless? The only way you can really have a trust, the only way you can no longer need to have trust and to remove that trust as the transcendent is to immanentize things and work on another level which isn't related to the empirical. Work on an objective framework. Um, so. Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin machines value, and I, and really, I you know this is this is absolutely steeped in the language of Deleuze Guattari. So Bitcoin machines value. It follows that the prevailing conception of technology as instrumental capability, subsumed under extrinsic ends, is among the very many things to fall by the wayside as the process escalates. Traditional categories of thought or conception and action or performance are mutually subsumed into an irreducible cognitive action. The strengthening diagonal, synthetic a priori, current passing between the notional and the actual, or and is, intelligence and mechanism, which in its aporectic articulation has been the exquisite torture of postmodern philosophy, is simply code. What the hell does that mean? Somebody tell me. Um, so, this is probably the most important quote uh, in these beginning sections which are indexed at zero the you know this introductory section not only does this ex explore the fact that 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 land is sort of adhering to the philosophical language of critique critique um but equally bitcoin is beginning to answer or has already answered a critical question in relation to to diagonality whereby intelligence technology and code are sort of machinic abstractions understood virtually as this potentiality for a continuation and it's, it's all about this removal well, how can you how can you how can you remove the the third party trust the third how can you how can you have trustless right how can you not in, in the sense of value how can you not how can you just remove trusting entirely to the point where something just happens on an immunitized horizontal flat level um and in this the, the only way that that is possible is to move it away from the a posteriori right move it towards the universally true but which is developed from uh, uh, um, still developed in a synthetic process, which is that machinization of um, that machinization of the, the the reality itself on that other level. Um, so the loop of Bitcoin auto production knows nothing of transcendence at any stage. Whatever might have sought to intrude, representing an extrins extrinsic authority, is dismissed as a superfluous trusted third party the circuit is the entire thing 0.06 so in this way the critically as in the term in, in in relation to kant the critically productive capabilities of bitcoin are synonymous with abstraction um which is which is like it's sort of that marxist alien power right that alien thing which comes in uh, and 
overtakes the work of that strange abstract force which can sort of relate to capitalism or productivity or production in itself uh when we when we you know which is changed changed to in Deleuze and Guattari um that is coming in and that is that is the thing that was taken here by itself and it doesn't need any trust it doesn't need a third party to bolster its proof of itself because it is value in itself it is it is a it, it, it is a an autoproductive system so big the capabilities of of bitcoin are sort of synonymous with that and i mean when we this is probably one of the 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 few points where you could draw a connection to the other landian stuff in the sense that there is a very very clear connections between what bitcoin is is doing on that new mental level and what capitalism is doing on that new mental new mental level in the sense that it's it's just anything which which is um extrinsic for Bitcoin, it's, uh, you know, the idea of a trusted third party. There is no trusted third party in capitalism. It's either used or it's unused. Otherwise, it's just super superfluous. You don't need that for the process in itself, which is happening on the outside, which is this autoproductive thing in relation to whatever it is that capitalism sort of is seeking to produce. Okay, so in the sense that, you know, the, in that accelerationist view, there can't ever be neo-capitalism, right? Capitalism is neo-capitalism. It just keeps going is it oh we're going to change this is post-capitalism no capitalism eats up the post and just doesn't give a crap right it just keeps going um it just subsumes anything everything into it and then on a functional level bitcoin blockchain blockchain technology um is, is pure quantified economic production right there's no because of that removal of the extrinsic third party uh trusted institution um it's pure in the sense that you know uh, so when we did the, the sorry i'll go right back to the beginning of Kant. the critique of pure reason <sighs> critique uh which is uh i can't remember what the original german is anyway in the original german if you translate it can actually meant as in taking something to court as if to say in front of a jury this is this is this is this can we all agree right so the critique of when we all think of reason in kantian terms you can loosely think of reason as working out a problem how how do we figure out a problem pure as in not related to the sensible okay so it is a a, a critique of non-sensible reason right which is the basically to say a critique of the conditions of experience which aren't related to and once again it, when we go right back to the can what's happening when we remove those connections to the extrinsic to you know that in 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 that way you can begin to say that there is um there's something um authoritarian about the a priori sensibility of man right we we, we, we that is almost we there's a some trust in relation to that 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 uh because sorry when we throw this object and it hits a the door then a sound happens there is a trust in relation to that empirical extrinsic reality once that is is removed and doesn't intrude what is left is uh is a sort of processual machinic automated circuitry which is well there's nothing extrinsic to sort of attach it to in the sense of when we think of money right okay we might have these digits on a screen but something there's something further for bitcoin than there is for um money and in that sense it's pure you know not 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 connected to extrinsic empirical reality pure quantified economic production a systemization of economic economizing reality into allotments of its productive capability okay <clears throat> so um i think i've got a couple more a few more slides after this one but yeah um very very sort of quickly right sort of probably about 70 percent of the way through here 
the sort of super key points of why this is so important. Bitcoin and critique. The creation of autoproductive absolute time. So we've spoken about that idea of absolute time, that sort of bridge between the inside and the outside, the phenomenal and the noumenal, and being able to correlate to one another to develop an absolute time which isn't in relation to the subjective and, and, and is absolute. Um, and in the sense that it's autoproductive, right? It understands itself and it's trying to keep itself going, which is exactly what Bitcoin seeks to do in relation to its uh, e equilibrium mechanisms of both supply and demand and in relation to the power needed for nodes, etc., etc. Um, so the in that immanentization where you no longer need that trusted third party third party, which is the once which in philosophical terms I've mentioned right at the beginning, is the removal of the transcendental, you know, or th you in the removal of, of, of extrinsic third party trust trusted institutions, you no longer need God. You're right, that's this is the this is the you know, land okay, we'll draw in a very early connection actually. You know that that um that uh, infamous chapter in The Thirst for Annihilation, Easter, where Land sort of says, look, I've had enough of the death of God. I'm just going to go finish him off and goes to Jesus on the cross and begins to stab him. The point is, it just he can't die because you still have that sort of uh, spatiotemporal framework of extrins extrinsic um, legitimization, which we rely on in terms of in, in, in the sense of sort of a subjective authoritarian way. Bitcoin, and I'll say this, Bitcoin finally kills God. Okay? There's no corpse anymore. It's brushed away. Everything is fully immanentized into a like a, a, a purely flat, horizontal, uh, transcendental framework of machinic production, where value in itself is what underlies everything. Okay? And I'll get to what I mean by underlies everything. The, this machinization of reality into an autocatalytic, you know, it's constantly producing itself of pure production. And we'll, I'll dig into these these um, deleuze quatarian terms in later lectures. Um, but one of my favourite things is, is, and I had trouble translating this, and I did ask some people, but it's, it's quite difficult to translate. So when, semantically, I think this is one of the more interesting things, and it, it, it makes you realise what's going on on a value, on a value scale, and brings in these, these, the Austrian economics. <clears throat> um, so... In, I believe he, it's first in the birth of biopolitics for Foucault. Land, there's a few mention of Foucault in here, so I don't think he'd mind me bringing this in. Um, Foucault semantically makes makes it clear that in the late 18th, I think it is, century, uh, this term is brought in homo criminalis, which basically means uh, human dash criminal, right? But it's but it's but it's connected. It is suffixed, right? So it's it's one thing, human criminalist or human criminal. And Foucault makes this point of saying, well, if that is now the reality uh, on that sort of conceptualized level, there's no such thing as a human which absolutely just isn't connected to this. You're either a human criminal or you're a human that definitely has the potential to be a criminal, right? You're a human non-criminal. But you're always in relation now to that um, semantic signified framework. Um, and then the same thing, which is the more important one here, is that he goes on to say uh, there's there's... Homo economicus, right? An economizing, economizing man, a man which is, you know, understanding the world in relation to. Um, and I've written an essay on this uh, called "The Genealogy of Foucault's Numeric Power System." I think, I think that was the name. Um, the point is that you know this numeric quanta quantifiable culture sort of infects us on a conceptual level, almost like the outside coming in, and you're no longer a man who might just be existing in relation to quality or, or experience or just existence or, you know, 
it's you're either an economizing man in the sense you're viewing the world that way or you're a man who isn't economizing right as if that's that's a strange thing and then i've sort of moved this off to say in relation to bitcoin what we have is cosmos economicus right the the entire reality cosmos i don't know how the latin would translate that perhaps someone could help me out a bit more the entire reality is fully economized right and you could say that that happens with with money with money that we have now gbp usd those uh forms of money as i'll get into in a next well i know i'll mention it i'll mention that now right why why is what's the difference okay so this is a this is a very austrian sort of take on this and economically speaking uh we used to well i guess if you go right back we would probably have things like before use use value and barter and early forms of economy economy and economizing you might have potlatches and you'd have gift giving uh you want to read marcel mouse on this and um john cussons some things on potlatch and george bataille um the gift giving economy and maybe read uh Mac- Eliad's, uh books on religion but maybe very very early on there wouldn't be that economizing brain um that, that that is seeking to sort of have that profit profit and loss dynamic and you simply give things uh because that's done on a communal level then that sort of moves through to barter and barter of course is you it's the object for another object which is pure use right if someone needs a lighter and i need a uh, a beard comb <laughs> then and and we definitely don't both need them you're not exchanging anything symbolically there isn't a symbol of value you're exchanging the empirical use value of these one for another and that's an early barter economy you know i'll give you five horses for uh you know whatever amount of grain and you're not doing that as in terms of like an economization where you're trying to like gain or profit or loss or whatever you're doing it because you need the use value and the use value is completely there in that extrinsic empirical sense um then we move through to trade and money which really does begin with grain when there was excess grain um uh but let's just go straight through to like, you know, you could say gold coins or paper notes, even though they somewhat work. One, you have this, the, these ties to national economies. Uh, two, you have these sort of, uh, they're, they're controlled by centralization, which is specifically a transcendent and not transcendental form of things. And they are a symbolic form of exchange value. The value itself isn't inherent in them. They are just a symbol for something which is sort of, uh developed and it's very um difficult to explain why it's different with bitcoin but bitcoin has that work which is why i've stated pure value in the sense that it's not in the sense of pure reason bitcoin capital b is connected to that ontological level of pure value which isn't its value in itself undeveloped and unconnected to its persuasion as land states its method its nexus of persuasion is not connected to extrinsic empirical things it's a pure value which is then machinized onto reality and in that sense absolutely every facet of reality can be economized because it's something that's uh i, I hate to say behind because there is no levels transcendental but it's it's the 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 value in itself which is already there right and, and then the empirical is is later maybe applied to it it's before the signs okay and that's why it's pure in the sense it's pure in the sense of pure reason it doesn't have that connection to sensibility which can roughly be uh, understood as um an extrinsic 
token of authority. So those are the huge things that we're going to try tackle in the lectures. Uh, and I think that's actually my last slide. It's my last slide. Um, so <clears throat> this, there was a there was a few little things that people brought in here. Someone said, "Want to say that Bitcoin doesn't kill God? It aims to kill the believer, the believer in the believer, uh, the believer in the believer. So the belief of the believer, so that that they, they no longer need any more salvation. Uh, it doesn't kill God." Well, it, it, so it's that sort of saying the same thing is that um, God God exists in that belief in the transcendent, uh, extrinsic authority, transcendent and not transcendental in the in the transcendental uh, machinized destruction of one's belief. They stop becoming a believer and are immanentized under the same level of 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 economy. So, I mean, this is it's a roundabout way of saying if you killed if you killed all the believers the God might still exist, right, conceptually. If you killed the conceptual belief, uh, then the the God no longer has that extrinsic authority to, to rely on. <clears throat> um, Bitcoin is the first synthetic universal constant. Yes, uh, purity is anti-natural in the material world. No such thing as this. Pure is always contained in purities. Um, pure, pure always contains impurities. Not in the trans, not in Kantian sense. So pure is just not related to sensibility. Uh, and as soon as there would be sensibility, then you're working, you're back to the a conditioned experience. Um, so uh, it's not that it's not like pure and impurity in relation to the chemical. It's just in relation to the connection to the sensible. Um, but yeah, I think for the last fifteen minutes here. So that was like the first lecture, which I've just span out in an absolute. Uh, mess has anyone got any more uh questions about bitcoin and cryptocurrency and these things uh do you think we can say that what we can say about bitcoin do you think we can say what we can say about bitcoin for automated machines for machine learning um in terms of like ai and machine learning if that if that if it adheres to the same structures of uh, not having a reliance on the empirical, which is like, this is what we're seeing with a lot of these AI is that once the AI is allowed to go off on its own value system, which often turns quite by liberal standards, nasty. Um, once again, you, you, you'll see, I'm using extrinsic or empirical authority quite, quite, uh, brashly here, but you'll see that what has to happen for that thing to be reined in that AI to be reined in, is it, someone uh, a conditioned experience comes in and says oh no you know we need to input some guidelines and by that it then has this extrinsic authority and it's no longer left to its own auto productive capabilities um so i think the same thing def definitely does imply to machine learning um but one of the problems of machine learning is as i understand is is even you know we have these ch chess robots as a typical example that can absolutely destroy any human player but the variables are extremely limited it's like you just know how to do chess so it's like a, it would be a constrained one. Uh, and there's also the question of decentralization um, and and whether or not something objective is happening there. And I guess the, the interest, the more interesting question there is like, could you have a decentralized AI uh, in the, in the, in the sense that there is a decentralized um, economy for Bitcoin, right? Like 
multiple a are multiple AIs actually multiple, right? They would under they would understand something because their experience is 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 I mean this is a whole can of worms because I've questioned someone on this before and they didn't really get what I meant. But if you develop an artificial intelligence which truly passes the Turing test, in what sense can we ever prove that uh, an artificial intelligence's sensibility is beholden to time and space the same way we are? And I believe someone has. Uh, you can look this up, but I think it was mentioned to be me by Eric Wargo. There has been a quantum computer developed which um, has has uh, affected its causes, right? So that and that's, this isn't a big thing for some reason, but there's been a quantum computer developed on a very minor level. It's it's affected the cause of the effect. Uh, so in that sense, that for me is like the biggest Kantian question of well, what the hell's going on with the 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 sensibility? You know, how is that intelligence apprehending reality? Um. So, yeah. Um. An AI more human than a human being. Oh, an AI more human than a human being is that the other we are seeking. Um, I think this is the problem though with this with this language is like saying um, more human than human is almost like the postmodernism question. You still have that connection to the human. Uh, which isn't just is not there. I mean, this is always the difficulty of the discussion with uh, transcendental things. Is it's just it's just the outside. You can't you you can't be like it's more human than human because in that sense it's still human. It still has that conditioned experience. So an an AI in the sense that it begins before signs, as Land is sort of stating, and in the same sense of uh, as Bitcoin, its method of persuasion isn't primarily. You know, secondarily, it might have to like bring in some things that we understand on the empirical level. But if its method of persuasion is at first on that machinized level, uh, which is primarily sort of related to that machinization of 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 econ economization, as we, we were talking about, that algorithmic uh, synthetic a prior processing, if it's related to that, then I don't see in what sense you know it, it, it could um, uh, it, it could be different. And I think any any true AI is now going to be reliant on this form of technology. What do you think of Searle's Chinese room argument and issues of intentionality? I uh, I've never read Searle's Chinese room argument, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> But um, I'm trying to think of other things. We I mean, one of the most interesting things that's going to be coming up in the later lectures is the Heideggerian analysis, which I was sort of, when I read this the first time, I was like surprised Land brought it in because I knew he hadn't read Heidegger. Well, last time I interviewed him, he said I hadn't read Heidegger in decades and now he's using him again. Is the difference between, you know, and Heidegger, just a continuation of Kant. And Deleuze is just a continuation of Kant. Deleuze and Guattari, just a continuation of Kant. Um the Heideggerian notions of the ontic and the ontological in relation to Bitcoin lower B and Bitcoin higher B, uh, the, these these are absolutely um, unfathomably important for explaining what, what this is. 
Um, so I think automated machines that base itself randomness looks similar to peer-to-peer systems of Bitcoin. Uh, Sarkon was looking for a machine diagonal in CCIE writings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Oscar Sarkon, man. Elusive. Uh, more directly, is the urgency promise of Bitcoin that it would seem to do away with the Kantian Freudian question mark epistemological difficulties that human participation uh, in the valuation of a currency? Well, the, the valuation of a currency is the rem, the rem, the move away from a conditioned subjective valuation, as opposed to uh, that's the point of Bitcoin equals Bitcoin, right? Uh, you could almost say in that, um, you know, that famous Heidegger quote, which everyone quotes for like the tough continental philosophy quotes, being is not being. Bitcoin is not a Bitcoin. Bitcoin, big B, is not a lower B Bitcoin, right? Ontological to ontic. Ontic in relation to valuation, that uh, that relation to the empirical reality of um, subjective, conditioned, spatio-temporal reality that form of valuation is recursive within the empirical reality and and it is just a is a subjective form of valuation whereas bitcoin is not a bitcoin the ontological reality of bitcoin itself is an ontological reality of uh value itself and of course it's it, it, it's i understand it's tough to explain i'm not doing the best job of that because it's just stating it but we'll build up on that this is just an introductory uh, lecture. Bitcoin equals AQ135 equals diagonal. Man. I can't get back into Gematria. I'm just going to go mad. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, I'll just give an opportunity for a few more questions and then I, I think uh, this has gone fairly successful. Would you guys, do you guys want more of these live streams? I don't want to turn into a turn into a you know one of those youtube channels that's doing like 10 things you wouldn't believe about bitcoin but yeah if you want more live streams then let me know share this far and wide subscribe and there is actually i've got like super chat and donations and stuff so you know that's always helpful as well <laughs> so yeah i mean the the next two are all written up um and then the fourth one is I'm just sort of finishing it out. So there probably will be one, most likely will be one of these um, next Thursday as well. Um, does Bitcoin here mean only Bitcoin or all cryptocurrency? Um, if I think for land, it's just, it absolutely just means Bitcoin. And there is a few references to altcoins. And I think really that's unavoidable considering like you're working with a pure machinic uh, automization, right? Machinization. These things are just going to fly off. But it's almost like you you can't replace the the OG, and I don't want to you know you you just there's a there's too much going on cryptocurrency in cryptocurrency at the moment, which I think is related to just uh, useless sort of actually dragging itself back into a, a very strange form of valuation, which is relation to like mimetic empirical. You know, I don't want to really go off on like a transcendental rant about the the transcendent empirical authority of Doge, but in relation to the fact that that is an economy bolstered not by its own value, but by a completely uh, subjective value created by mimetic social 
correlation between Elon Musk and you know silly stuff. I uh, I think it's I think uh, you know Bitcoin is important for the fact that it doesn't it. Once again, its nexus of persuasion isn't reliant on those ex- external things. There isn't like there isn't there's no marketing. There's no it's 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 valuation in itself. Um, does this analysis analysis rest on a future wherein a co- wherein economy has been completely tokenized? And if this doesn't occur, is this analysis moot? Um, that is that's a very interesting question. I mean, we're seeing it at the moment in the in the tokenization of. Uh, basically everything that can be tokenized is being tokenized. And this is why, you know, I bring in that idea, uh, which is still on the screen there, Cosmos Economicus, right? Absolutely economized reality to the point of sort of saying what can't be, what can't be economized. And there's probably something interesting to bring in here. I'll bring in Michel Serre because it's a good way of seeing where land is moving away from it. So Michel Serre has this fantastic quote uh, in the five senses, I think, though I could be wrong on that, where he talks about economizing man going into the animal, uh, the, the animal, the going into the Amazon rainforest and basically saying, stating even when he's, he's away from all those empirical institutions of economization, you know, banks, civilization, modernity, um, he still is economizing, right? You still have that propensity in, in, in the Deleuzean sense, in a way to see the actuals, which are trees and, and plant life and, and, potentialize them via the virtual and be like, oh, that could be planks of wood. I could turn that into a house, you know, that economization. And when we talk about the tokenization and, and the economizing of the entire reality, we're moving away from that, which is, you know, it's not like extra homo economicus, it's cosmos economicus. The reality itself is economizing. It's not first from the, with homo economicus, it's that, from that conditioned reality, then we're economizing from that. Before the conditioned reality, the conditions, before the conditions, what conditions the conditions, the pure reality is economizing itself in a machinic way. And in that sense, it's to say that not, to to say, well, everything could be completely tokenized. A lot of tokenization is just happening in within the conditioned reality to say like, oh, you could say, if you took it to the absolute nth extreme, you could say, right, have you bought enough air tokens this month? Otherwise, we're going to, you know, shut off your house's atmosphere or whatever, right? That would be the absolute um, end game of tokenization is the tokenization of air. Um, but before that is 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 a transcendental just that anything can be subsumed onto that level whereby uh, it is quantified into like a, a processed um a purely a purely processed value system this is worth x and we understand that x in relation to a pure value system which is bitcoin um so uh there was another one there what would you say about what you say about dog is also true of the other cryptos yeah 100 100 uh definitely and i think that's why bitcoin is important is that i don't think you have that there is there obviously is the mimesis uh point where it's it's being blown up like at the moment uh because you know it's it's making loads of people loads of money in that empirical sense uh but the 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 confusion in the in there is that a lot of people are then buying it they're they're holding it in the sense that the bitcoin usd pair they want more us dollars right so they want to utilize the transcendental to sort of run back to their trans transcendent form of you know nationalized trust formed currency token um 
but it's also interesting to think when 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 I think the important point would be when the transcendental overtakes the transcendent, right? When when no longer Bitcoin is seen in relation to the dollar, but the dollar is seen in relation to the Bitcoin, uh, into in relation to Bitcoin. Sorry, I sounded like an old man there. The Bitcoin. Uh, would Bitcoin still be philosophically important if it never exploded in popularity, or was its popularity inevitable? Um. Inevitability is a curious word in relation to the idea of linear time because inev- inevitability, if something is inevitable, that's the implication that it's working on a line- linear framework and that some point in the future, that thing will happen. As we understand, that only happens in conditioned, uh, conditioned linear chronic time of the subject. So inevitability isn't... Uh, a f- that inevitability isn't a thing for Bitcoin because it's not working on that framework. In the same way Land talks about capital building itself in the future, uh, Bitcoin, I would say, is, is is sort of within that same framework where, well, you, uh, you know, to, to repeat what Land said to me, which helped me out a lot in relation to the Kantian time, you can't have time in time, right? You have time, you have, you have time. You, you then, you can't have another form of time in time. So our linear time, which is conditioned, is just beholden to how we experience it. You can't, but that isn't real. So whatever else is going on in time behind the scenes, when I spoke about that quantum com- computer, you begin to think about cause and effect. Well, cause and effect uh, no longer happen in the same way that free will and determinist debates are sort of decimated by that conclusion in that, well, if if the if you no longer have the past, present, and the future, well, then... The, the, what's going on right that's not how time works so in terms of inevitability that's a difficult you know that's a very highly philosophical question uh would it would it be as important if it never exploded in popularity um i guess you could sort of say that something such as this would only explode in popularity you know you can't say you can't say otherwise that's the problem so it's sort of unfalsifiable you know it's like saying is there something out there that should be this popular I don't know. Um, If gold or uranium were as common as quartz, would it still have the exaggerated valuation? Scarcity or usefulness, what is the real determiner? Well, I sort of come at this from an Austrian perspective because they're now producing diamonds and ultimately they could just set artificial diamonds, which are apparently... uh, You can't tell the difference between them and real real diamonds. (laughs) Uh, So there... there's Um... That's a subjective valuation, right? We just, we just, it's a subjective, uh, conditioned evaluation, which is completely subjective to someone. Like, diamonds are worth nothing to me. I couldn't care less, right? But because a certain amount of people understand that diamonds are worth that much, these artificial diamonds can also be set at that certain valuation. But that's all in relation to like a mimetic, subjective form of valuation. So if gold and uranium were as common as quartz, would it still have the exaggerated valuation? That would be on whether or not people want to just decide, okay, we all agree, like, this is all worth this much. Whereas that doesn't, that's not how, so scarcity or usefulness, I mean, the scarcity element, of course, helps with Bitcoin, but uh, I, to a degree, I almost think that scarcity and usefulness come after the subjective, you have, like, you have the subjective valuation of something, and then you have scarcity. I mean, for instance, we could talk about scarcity and we could say, okay, there's five, there's f- 5,000. That's a very low number in terms of the globe. Okay, there's 5,000 what? Mattresses covered in strawberry jam. All right, nobody wants them, right? Just because it's scarce doesn't mean it's in- immediately valuable. There has to be that subjective appreciation first. 
um, which Bitcoin comes in before, right? So, yeah, I don't know why I used mattresses covered in jam as an example. Uh, but yeah, so the scarcity debate's an interesting thing that will that will come in um, later. But it's like everything comes after. Uh, not to be a, an annoying continental, but Bitcoin, Bit, the value of Bitcoin is always already. There you go. The annoying statement. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to finish it up there. Um, because it's like an hour and a half. I think it's a good, a good amount of time. But um, thanks for coming, everyone. Uh, and as I say, subscribe follow whatever all that stuff um share this uh and maybe if you really enjoy it go to the patreon all the links are there or donate in the super chat or whatever but they go uh not massively fussed about that stuff um but um <laughs> oh, there's another question there speaking of scarcity and not usefulness would you be doing a podcast on nfts uh, I mean that once again is just subjective valuation. The fact that some of those things are going for thousands and thousands of dollars, like a memetic recursive loop, right? It's just everyone just agrees. Okay, we all agree that this little image is worth this much. Uh, we're sort of getting in a bit of a loop here. But would I be doing a podcast on F on NFTs? No, I wouldn't have. An, I wouldn't have too much to say about. Them. I mean, they're an in, they're an interesting development of cryptocurrency economics. But yeah. Um. Pardon me. Uh, yeah, they might come up. I think they will come up. They do come up. I know later on, but um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So thanks everyone. It's been a fairly successful first Hermetics live stream. Uh, and thanks for all for coming in. It should be the same time next week, actually. Uh, I think. I don't think I've got anything on. So yeah, same time next week, and we'll it be far far deeper into the Kant stuff and Bitcoin and more about that temporal succession and the blockchain in relation to absolute time uh yeah see you all then follow subscribe all that lovely stuff